Good morning and uh, happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers who are here with us this morning and those of you who are watching online and also congratulations to our graduates. Lots to celebrate. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 11. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, Last year, my family and I planned uh, kind of a a large family vacation. Every few years, we kind of try to plan one of these things, uh, save a little bit of extra money, plan ahead, and uh, have a a nice getaway for not just our immediate family, but some of of the members of our extended family as well. And I don't know if anyone here in your family has anyone uh, like this, but my my wife is is a planner. A vacation planner, right? So everyone, uh, you know, if you have one of those in your family, you know what I'm talking about, right? They just kind of plan every detail of, of the vacation, which is kind of ironic because it's a vacation. But anyways, <clears throat> she's a great planner. She's a list maker too. And I'm going to try to behave myself because she's sitting right here. <laughs> so, so months before our family vacation was supposed to go down, uh, there, were, there were several lists I saw that would be created and and they would be in the kitchen, uh, usually on the table. And these lists listed the activities that we were going to enjoy and what days we were going to enjoy them on, uh, what meals we were going to eat at which restaurants, uh, cost breakdown, rooming assignments, travel stops along the way, wake up times, bedtimes, meal schedules, travel schedules. I mean, nothing was forgotten. Literally, it was all considered. And I have to commend her. I'm, I'm really trying to praise her right now. I hope it comes across that way. Uh, uh, she, I have to commend her for working diligently to capture every detail of our vacation on paper. And literally, when the day came that we were to leave, we were, we were prepared, we were packed, and we had a good plan. But literally, the day before we left, a hurricane ripped right through the area that we were actually traveling to, to vacation in, and it shut down everything in that city, and and it shut down our vacation as well. So let me ask a question. Has anyone here ever had a a great plan that fell through? Yeah. When, When plans fail... It can be discouraging, it's certainly disappointing, and it can be upsetting. And I, and I read this quote, it said this, someone, uh, someone once said, don't worry if plan A fails, you've got 25 more letters of the alphabet to use. Now, I don't know if that's, that's true or not, but, but what is true, when we have failed plans, when we experience that, it, it is disappointing, it is discouraging, and it can be very uh, doubtful. In John chapter 11, That's what happened to two sisters by the name of Mary and Martha. Together, they had come up with a great plan, a plan to save their sick and dying brother, a plan that they were confident would work out perfectly. However, things did not work out perfectly. As a matter of fact, it it wasn't even close. And in the midst of their disappointment, they came face to face with the very person who could have made everything work out perfectly if he had only followed the plan. So let's jump into the story. John chapter 11, I'll begin reading in verse six, uh, one through six. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters were sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man, Son of God, may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he read that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Mary and Martha have a good plan. And they sent this message to Jesus with the plan, informing him of the current situation. Lord, the, the one that you love is sick. And Jesus actually receives the message. Okay, so phase one of the plan is complete. Jesus received the message. But John writes that Jesus loved Mary so much and Martha so much and loved Lazarus so much that when he received the message, he immediately stayed right where he was for two more days. I don't think that was part of Mary and Martha's plan, do you? I think their plan was for Jesus to drop whatever he was doing in that moment and come straight to Bethany and heal this friend that he loved so much. But Jesus didn't stop what he was doing. He didn't come immediately. As a matter of fact, he did just the opposite. He delayed. Have you ever experienced a delay where you had the perfect plan Maybe it was the perfect plan for your marriage, the perfect plan for your, your kids, your career, your future. But then out of nowhere, something unexpected came along and suddenly the plan was not going according to plan. Maybe there was an affair in the marriage. Maybe a child rebelled. Maybe a job was lost and the future became unclear and you felt your plan unraveling. And often our first response when the plan begins to fail is to ask, what's the fastest way to fix this? Maybe I can reconfigure the plan. Maybe I can rearrange the steps. Oh, I know, maybe I will send a message through prayer to Jesus and he will come and he will get my plan back on track. But what happens when we pray and Jesus delays? What happens when the very one who can fix the plan doesn't? Was it unloving that Jesus stayed two extra days? It probably felt unloving to Mary and Martha. It may have felt like betrayal. But one thing that you and I have to remember when our plan is failing and we've prayed to Jesus and he doesn't come, there's one thing that we need to remember, that our feelings, our emotions are fallible. That means, that means they're untrustworthy. That means that our feelings have the power to lie to us because our feelings will say things like, see, Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't love you. He didn't come. You see, he, he was the one that could have fixed all this. He could have got your plan back on track, but he didn't even bother to show up. But you see, we cannot trust our feelings. In biblical days, especially the days of Old Testament, it was believed that the human heart was the source of emotions, that our emotions and feelings generated from our heart. And that's why the prophet Jeremiah wrote these words, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
The heart is sick because it's sick with sin. The heart, the emotions, our feelings can actually lead us away from truth if we listen too deeply to our feelings and to our emotions because our feelings have the power to lie. So capture this if you're taking notes. We cannot let our emotions shape the truth, but rather we must let the truth shape our emotions because there's going to be some times where it just feels like what we're feeling is the truth, but we're being deceived. And the truth that I'm talking about is a truth of God's holy word. And here's the truth. Because God is sovereign in all his ways, nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens that's outside of the realm of his control. Nothing that we go through is without purpose. Proverbs 16, 4a says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. There's no situation that we can encounter in life where God cannot be glorified. There's nothing that happens in our life that catches him off guard or he never saw coming. Christian maturity is learning to look at the situations in our life, knowing that whatever we're facing, we are going through it uh, because it, it because God has allowed it or he has orchestrated it. And through it all, he will be glorified, even if we find ourselves having to wait and just be still. You see, I believe Jesus delayed returning to Bethany for, for a couple of reasons. One, to glorify his heavenly father, which he stated in that passage that we just read. He said, this is to glorify God. But secondly, he delayed because he truly did love Mary and Martha. He did love them. You see, God's glory and God's, uh, God's uh, love are not enemies. Let me say that again. God's glory and God's love are not enemies. They work together to bring about God's perfect plan. If you're taking notes, God's perfect plan will always be greater than our disappointments. You see, sometimes when we have to wait, when our plan doesn't, doesn't flesh out just like we, we wanted it to, it brings disappointment. But as we grow and understand how God works and how he brings all things together for his glory, we will understand that no matter how disappointed we are, his glory will always be greater than our disappointments. It doesn't mean that your failed marriage was a part of God's plan. It doesn't mean that your broken family was a part of God's plan. It doesn't mean that your uncertain future is now a part of God's plan. But what it does mean is that God can take all those failed plans, those broken plans, and work them together perfectly to glorify his name and reveal to you just how much he truly loves you and to reveal his sovereignty. Now, it may take some patience, it may take some waiting. It may take a lot of faith. But God's perfect plan is always worth the wait. And in the next few verses, Jesus reveals himself in our next I am statement. Let's look at it together, beginning in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. 
Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany, Lazarus had been dead four days. And after four days, there was no doubt, Lazarus was dead. <laughs> Judaic law taught that after three days, the spirit actually left the body for good, meaning that there was no hope of resurrection after four days. So there was no mistake. Jesus, he could have prevented this. And before he even reaches the house, Martha runs out to meet him to make sure she know, he knows how disappointed he is. Jesus, Jesus, I had a plan. I sent you a message. You received the message. If you would have just followed the steps of the plan, you, you could have fixed this situation. My brother wouldn't be dead, but you delayed, Jesus. Delaying was never a part of the plan. We can relate to that because we have our own plans. And, and we pray, Jesus, if you'll just fill in the blank. Delaying is never part of the plan. But here Jesus begins to reveal a much better and more perfect plan. He responds to Martha with a simple statement, your brother will rise again. Now Martha, she knew the uh, what we know the, as the Old Testament scriptures. She understood God's promise that this life is not all that there is. She knew that the grave is not the end. But Jesus was not talking about a last days kind of resurrection. Jesus says this, makes this statement using very specific wording. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice he doesn't say I can resurrect people. And, and I have life. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And so this is where I want to start as we break this down. If you're taking notes, our hope is not in an, an event. Our hope is in a person, Jesus Christ. You see, nothing can stop Jesus from giving life. He, he, he doesn't just have life. He is the source of life. And this, this is one of the many things that, that make Jesus different from us. You see, I have life in me. You have life in you. But Jesus is life. He is the source of life. You and I, we can lose our life. But Jesus can never lose life. Remember from last week, the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life. He willingly lays down his life. Why? Only to take it up again. No one takes life from Jesus. He can willingly lay it down, but no one takes it from him. The resurrection was proof that not even death could take life from Jesus. And then Jesus reveals this profound promise and plan. He promises that all those who believe, even though they may die, will live forever. Those who are in Christ will never have to worry about their spiritual life ending because through Christ, the power of resurrection now lives in us. 
You see, that is our great hope. That is in the, our hope in the great promise, the great plan of redemption that was set in place from the foundation of the world. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. And then Jesus makes this simple or asks this simple but imperative question to Martha, do you believe? Do you believe in this promise? Do you believe in this plan for salvation? Martha, do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? And there's only one right answer. And the only right answer is the answer Martha gave in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. That's the only right answer. You see, preaching is not what saves us. Good works is not what saves us. It's not a secret knowledge or wisdom that saves us. It's only in believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and then confessing him as Lord and Savior so that once and for all, we can step into God's perfect plan for redemption for our souls. That's the greater plan for the glory of God. And if you're taking notes, faith is not the belief that our plans will always work out perfectly. That's not faith. Faith is a belief that God will always work out his perfect plan, no matter what happens to us. The most important question you and I will ever answer is, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? If you would say, yes, I believe that, then what have you done about it? Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Have you surrendered your life to him fully and completely? Have you committed to walk in obedience to his plan and his purposes for your life? Because that's the plan that's built on the promise of Christ's resurrection. There's only one right answer to the question, do you believe? The next few verses are important because they reveal Jesus's response to Mary and Martha's sorrow. You see, anytime plans fail, anytime things don't go the way that we hoped they would or that we planned they would, there is sorrow, there is sadness. It's, it's, hard, it's hard not to experience that, but we find out something in this next passage about how Jesus deals with our sorrow. Pick up with me in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We see here that Mary gives Jesus almost the identical response as Martha. Jesus why didn't you come? 
The plan was for healing. The, the plan was for life. The plan was for celebration and, and joy and, and happiness. Jesus, you, you missed the plan. But Jesus didn't miss the plan. He knows exactly what he's about to do. But before he does it, he's very intentional to respond with deep compassion. You see, the scripture reveals that the Lord loves us so much that he's willing to enter into our suffering. Listen to Isaiah 63, 9. In all their suffering, he also suffered. The Lord also suffered. You see, Jesus loves us so much that he is able to enter into our pain. Now, Jesus certainly has the power to fix our pain, but if you're taking notes, before Jesus fixes our pain, he often joins in our pain. You see, not only does he understand our grief and our disappointment, not only is he a high priest that can sympathize with everything that we're going through, but he experiences our sorrows with us. You see, that's a very personal type of empathy where Jesus, our savior, can enter into our pain. And some of you here, you have experienced that. I have, I have talked with people who have, who, have walked with, who have lost loved ones, who have walked through very difficult situations. And even in the sorrow and in the tears, they would make a statement like this. God seemed so close to me in my sorrow. It was as if I could touch him. Wives who've lost husbands, fathers who've lost children. God was so close in those moments. It was as if I could reach out and touch him. That's what this verse means, that Jesus weeps when we weep. He hurts when we hurt. He enters into our sorrow. I don't think this is put right here for, by accident or for any other reason for us to understand that we have a high priest who can sympathize with everything that we go through. And that brings us to the great miracle of this passage, the great miracle of resurrection. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. You see, this was the plan all along. This was the fulfillment of the plan that Jesus had in mind from the beginning. This is the reason Jesus delayed. This is the reason he let those that he loved experience four days of grief and sorrow. 
This is why he did not stick to their plan. If you're taking notes, Mary and Martha's plan was for temporary healing. Jesus's plan was for eternal hope, the glorification of God. You see, in our life, Jesus is going to do some things that do not make sense. Many of you have already walked through life situations that did not make sense. Sometimes Jesus just doesn't fall in line with our plan. Sometimes he doesn't follow the steps of our plan. And the reason is, is because he has a plan far greater than we can see or understand in that moment. But even when we don't know what Jesus is doing, we should never doubt for a moment his love for us and his desire for us to experience his glory. You see, this miracle of resurrection was, was more than just about removing Mary and Martha's grief temporarily. That's what they wanted. They didn't want to grieve. They didn't want to, they didn't want to miss their brother. They didn't want to walk in this sorrow. The miracle was about revealing the eternal power of Jesus over death. It was something greater. You see, up to this point, before Jesus' resurrection, death had, had always won. Death, was, death would always sweep in, and, and whatever was in the way, it lost. Death always got the final word. Even if the person experienced a miraculous healing, it was only temporary. Lazarus healing, as profound as it was, was only temporary. Eventually, Lazarus tasted death again because death always had the final word. But when Jesus himself died and through his power rose from the dead, his resurrection, we're told, actually crushed the power of death meaning that death no longer had the final word. And now death is no longer something that we have to fear because of its power or because it's unknown, but because Christ's resurrection now becomes our resurrection. Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15. He said this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all those who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, meaning Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. That's the plan. But then there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised at the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. You see, this is one of the great hope-filled passages that our faith is anchored in. You see, nothing feels more hopeless than death, right? Many of you have walked through the valleys of the shadow of death, and there's nothing that feels more hopeless than death, but through Christ, death loses its power. Death no longer has the final word because Jesus has the final word. And that final word was this, I am the resurrection and the life. What a powerful, hopeful word. 
And I know this morning that many of you can relate to this story because you've had failed plans in your life. You've had a failed marriage or a family failure or your finances have failed or your faith has failed. I want you to remember God has a greater plan for you today. Don't listen to your emotions that may tell you that Christ doesn't love you or that he's given up on you or you've gone too far, you've messed up too many times. Don't listen to that voice. What I pray that you hear today is the voice of truth. That Christ loves you with an everlasting love. And you as his son and his daughter are covered by his grace and his mercy. And that he has a plan for you, for your situation, for your life. And it's, it's not just a plan for temporary happiness or, or temporary satisfaction. No, no, it's a plan for eternal hope, eternal glory. And you see, God's greatest plan was the plan that he established before the foundations of the world, a plan for the redemption of your soul. And at first, it may have seemed that that plan was, was spoiled, but it wasn't. Jesus, Jesus was always the plan. He was always plan A. There's no plan B. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and for mine with his death. And because he is the resurrection and the life, his resurrection is now our resurrection, and he offers us eternal hope. This morning... If you need to be reminded that God's plan is far greater than ours, I pray that you will, you will pray that and respond by, by believing that as we close with a song. If you need to give your life to Jesus, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that you would come and you would, you would let us know that you want to surrender to Jesus or what does it mean for me to surrender to Jesus Christ and enter into his plan of salvation. However the Lord is leading you, we ask you to take these next few moments and respond as he leads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you.